0: My hope and my prayer is that we all are ready to hear Jesus speak to our hearts. Are you ready for that? Amen. Amen. And so I'm very grateful to be here once again at Wildwood. You always make me feel right at home. And so I want to thank all of those who were involved in making this moment possible. And I'm really grateful to once again be a mouthpiece for the Lord, to speak to God's people. And uh, not only in this room, but we know the world over, as many are watching online, And so the Lord has a message for us, and we're going to be building on this legacy concept, and we're going to let the Word of God teach us. And so as we prepare our hearts to receive the Word, I believe the best way to do that is in prayer. So I'm once again going to not only pray, but I'm once again going to kneel to do that. Uh, If you'd like to, you're welcome to join me in kneeling. If you cannot kneel, it's all right. You bow your heads where you are. But in any case, let us go before the Lord and prepare our hearts to receive the Word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for blessing us all to make it safely through another week. And we thank you for this privilege that once again we can celebrate your faithfulness over this wonderful institute for all these years. We present ourselves before you as very imperfect men and women, but we're grateful that we have a perfect message that if we allow, it can perfect our hearts and allow us to become just like Jesus. And Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us in a mighty way and minister to our hearts and open our eyes and help us behold wondrous things out of your law. Send your Holy Spirit, we ask. May he not merely come in this room, but may he come into each and every one of our hearts. Father, I pray that while you'll bless my brothers and sisters, please don't pass me by. I pray for a fresh revelation of Christ, my righteousness. I pray that you might minister to my heart. And help that my heart will be warmed towards you even more. And we will all leave this place more devoted to you. And the work that you have given us to do. And may you finish it first in our hearts and then in this world. It is our prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, amen. amen. We just want to go ahead and get this a uh, little bit situated here. You know, when I think about, you know, the legacy that God wants to set up for his people, and in this case, of course, we're dealing with Wildwood. We know that the Lord has accomplished great things at this place, and it has been discussed at length since this conference has started yesterday. And so I am personally grateful for the things that God has done uh, as it relates to my life, um, Dr. Grievous in a special way, and as well as uh, Dr. Davidson, Davids when, he, when they came to Georgia and they did an accelerated training. And uh, I was privileged to be in that training. That was right around the time I had Lyme disease, and I didn't even know it. And uh, I just knew something was going on. The trainings were going and going, and towards the end, I started to feel a little funny. And I went, and I still went to the training because I wanted to complete the course. And I remember that when it was done, I immediately had to go home, and I was laid out because I discovered that I had Lyme disease. And, you know, as I was going through that suffering... That is eventually how I met Brother Chenille. And I went over to Uchi Pines. I heard they did something terribly drastic. And it was that they did a four-hour fever bath. And so I, I had no idea what that feels like. So I said, all right, well, let's do it. And so, you know, my wife and I drove. They said, you have to have somebody else to drive because you're going to be wiped out. And I went over there, and that's when, uh, you know, Brother Chenille, he, he was, he was he was amazing. I mean, I remember... I was just, I didn't eat breakfast, and that was a big mistake, <laughs> because I had no energy reserve, and so I was in that tub for an hour and about 15 minutes, and I remember Shanil and I became very intimate, because I started to lay my head on his chest, <laughs> because I, I, I mean, my fever's going, and I'm out of it, and I remember I, I told him, I started to call him sir, I was like, sir, please, sir get me out of this tub. And in that kind voice, he would just say, are you sure you can't do another 15 minutes? You know, <laughs> And, you know, I reflect back on these things. And, you know, God has delivered me. He's healed me uh, completely. And I'm grateful. But, you know, I have a very special passion for the medical missionary work. I have a very special passion for all of God's institutes. And I thank God for every single one of them. And I have dedicated my life to make sure that uh, an and aspect of my work, though I'm working largely in the local field of California now, um, that I am dedicated to do anything and everything that I can to help strengthen God's institutes. So whatever way that God can use me, I'm willing to be used. So when I got the call from Wildwood, there was no way that I was going to say no. And so once again, I'm grateful to be here. When I think about you know, the, the term legacy, right? You know, when, we, when we just look at it from the definition standpoint, it's anything that's handed down from the past. And examples are, you know, from an, an, an ancestor or a predecessor. And there are things that we want to hand down to others. I want to, of course, leave a legacy for my children. Jared, Kayla, Caleb, and Jada. Should I die before my bride, I want to leave a legacy for her. And so it is that when we think about Wildwood, Wildwood was raised up to also be or to leave a legacy, something that could be handed down. But when I think about it, if I were to, if I were to challenge my brothers and sisters here at Wildwood, one of the best legacies that you can leave behind more than than specific works because in the panel we talked about how sometimes a work can change even though it's built on the same principle. And so it may not be that the legacy that is left behind are very specific works because that can change. But I think we would all agree that when we look at the Bible and when we look at this principle, now sadly what is stated here In Exodus 24, you're going to see that it wasn't well followed through. Nevertheless, the point is profound. The Bible says, all that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. The best legacy that an institute, a ministry, a minister can leave behind is that when people look at them, they could say, all that I remember of them is that all that the Lord has said they would do and they were obedient. That is a beautiful legacy that we can leave behind. It's a principle that has dynamic impact to the eyes that behold and the ears that hear, that when they think of Dwayne Lemon, I remember I said many years ago, I said, Father, by your grace, when my children think of me, I don't want them to just think of my dad's a really cool dad. Some dads are, are comfortable with that commentary, but not me. I don't want my children to say my dad was a great guy. I don't want my wife, should again, I pass before she does. I don't want my wife to just say he he was a good man and these type of things. I want my children and I want my wife by the power and grace of God to be able to say when I think of my father and when I think of my husband, they remind me of Jesus. (laughs) That this is what he reminds me of. Everything I've learned about the man of Calvary, my father and my husband was a wonderful reflection of such a character. Because nothing else counts. It's like, who who cares about being cool? Who cares about being nice and this and that and all the other compliments that an individual can get if it does not reflect the lovely image of Jesus? And so it is, that is my heart's desire. I said, Father, and, and until they can say that, there's more work for me to do, and I cannot get satisfied. And that's the question. You see, when I... When I read this wonderful writing, Loma Linda Messages, page 72A, paragraph 1. Loma Linda Messages, for those of you taking notes. Page 72A, paragraph 1. When I read that, it said, Wheresoever Christ went, he was a sanitarium. Can you imagine that? Wheresoever Christ went, He was a sanitarium. In other words, when somebody comes to the sanitarium, they should be able to have the greatest commentary and the only commentary that counts, that they can say, when I come here, everything that takes place here reminds me exactly of the man of Calvary. His name is Jesus. This is when you can know you're on track. This is when you can say amen, and you can say, now that's a legacy. We want to leave and hand it down to everybody else. And guess what? If in searching of the heart, I really meant what I said uh, when we were having our panel up here, and I said, you know, one of the things I think about a legacy is that sometimes you get a chance to do a review. I like doing reviews. Every March 22, I do a review. That's when I was born, March 22nd. And on my birthday, I want to reflect. Lord, have I been reflecting your image as I should? Am I growing From the last year up until now? Or have I digressed? Next month, May 25, that's going to be my bride and I, 25 years of holy matrimony. And one of the things that we like to do is when we get together, we're going to go ahead and review. Dear, have I been the house band that God has called husbands to be to you? She's going to say, Dwayne, have I been the queen of the household? That God has called every wife to be to her husband. And lovingly, we will tell each other the truth. What did I say before we will tell each other the truth? Oh, you good listeners. Amen. That is not an opportunity to roll up sleeves and let out all our gripes. Is that right? On an anniversary, you build each other up. You don't tear each other down. But we like to do that. Have I been? Because this is what counts, family. I really believe in leaving a legacy. I believe that God wants that for each and every one of us. And certainly God wants that for this wonderful institute of Wildwood. And so when I think of Wildwood, when I think of Wildwood, you you have to ask yourself, well, what is its purpose? You know, what is its purpose at the end of the day? And the truth of the matter is, is that if you go to 10 individuals, you'll probably get 10 answers. But God has one answer. And I want to show us from the word of God, the great reason why God raised up this wonderful institute called Wildwood. Go to the book of Revelation, the 14th chapter, a familiar passage of scripture to many under the sound of my voice. In Revelation 14. The Bible helps us understand why God raised up this movement, why God raised up this movement. It is in Revelation, the 14th chapter, that the Bible makes it very clear why God raised up this movement. This movement was raised up post-October 22, 1844. Since October 22, 1844, God has had a very specific focus in the work that he wants to do and accomplish in the hearts and minds of his people. That work is a finishing work. And the finishing work. Is spelled out very beautiful in the apocalyptic book of Revelation, especially chapter ten and verse seven. That's where God made it very clear the work that He wants to be finished. And God made it clear in the voice of the days of the, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when He shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. The whole work of God. Since that precious time of October 22, 1844, is to raise up ministries, to raise up ministers, to raise up movements that will go forward and be an instrument in his hands. To assist individuals in knowing how God is going to complete the mystery, the mystery of God, that it can be finished in every single heart of his people. And that mystery of God is none other than Christ in you and Christ in me, the hope of glory. Now, Revelation 14 spells out the messages that is going to accomplish that goal if received in the heart and lived out in the life. The Bible says in Revelation 14, starting at verse 6, It says, and I saw, as a matter of fact, why don't we read it together? I'd love to hear your voices. You sounded absolutely wonderful when you were singing. I trust you'll sound just as wonderful when you're reading. It says in Revelation 14, starting at verse 6, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell upon the earth to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image. Receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This is the last message that is going to go to the world. Whenever I get a chance to talk to all of my friends who are in different denominated groups and what have you, I talk to them kindly. I talk to them very tenderly. But I show them that I said, according to the Bible, this is the last message that goes to the world before the second coming of Christ. And sometimes they'll say, prove that. I said, verses 14 and 15. It's in the same book and chapter. It's right there in verses 14 and 15 that it just says, after that's done, it then says, and I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the son of man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle, and another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the what? The harvest of the earth is ripe harvest time in scripture symbolically speaking not in the agricultural sense in symbolism, harvest time represents the end of the world if you want a text for that, Matthew 13 and verse 39, if you want to do that if you mark your Bibles, Matthew 13, 39 harvest time represents the end of the world so literally the Bible is showing us, this is the last message of love, hope and warning that is to go to a world before it comes to its end. And I ask, the, I ask my minister friends, I ask those who are sitting under other ministers, I'm like, is that the message at your church? And if they say, no, that's not our message, I say, well, you need to learn this. Why don't you bring me over to your church and I'll come teach it? I'll gladly come over there and come teach it, share it with everybody. You know, this is, not an, this is not an exclusive message, it's an inclusive message. It is a message that includes everybody. We have to go and give this to everybody. I did not read John the Revelator say, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of the Seventh-day Adventist church, saying to them in the Seventh-day Adventist church that they should—that's how—do you know there's ministers that preach like that? They say they're giving the three angels' messages, and all all they're doing is preaching amongst a bunch of Seventh-day Adventists. That's ridiculous. You know why? I remember one minister, he said, nope, our message is to give the message, the three angels' messages— to those in the church? And I said, really? I said, so what are you going to do with the second angel? <laughs> second angel is, is identifying Babylon. And then later on, gives a loud cry to tell everybody, come out. Is that your message? And they say, oh, well, <laughs> I, I didn't think about that part. I said, you're giving a two angels message. You're talking about judgment and the mark of the beast, but you're not even given the second. Brothers and sisters, the message is to go to everybody. It's to go to everybody. And so it is it's a message that includes. It, it brings people in to say, hey, receive the message. And so it is that God says, that's why I raised up this movement called Wildwood. I raised it up to be a part of my team in giving the last message so that people can be prepared to meet their God. You see, in that first angel's message, it's a message of judgment. It says the hour of judgment is not coming. It says the hour of his judgment is? It's come. And as we read that message, and we saw very clearly, the hour of his judgment is come. The hour of his judgment is here. It's going on right now. The whole focus of this ministry, as well as any ministry, is the same. It is spelled out very beautifully through a wonderful little book, manuscript release, book one, page 228. And it says it like this. It says God's purpose in giving the third angel's message to the world is to prepare a people to do what? Stand true to him during the investigative judgment. It says this is the purpose for which we establish and maintain our publishing houses, our schools, our what else? Sanitariums hygienic restaurants, treatment rooms, and food factories. In fact, to summarize it, it says this is our purpose in carrying forward every line of work in the cause. Whatever we are articulating, whatever it is that we are distributing to the people, it must have a work with great specificity. It must be going in a very pinpointed direction. How is what we're doing going to better help the people know how to stand faithful to God when the rest of the world is unfaithful? You see, when we're real and honest with our hearts... Because I'm, I'm t- I, and I say this not knowing the fullness of what goes on here at Wildwood. So it's not like people have been talking to me about anything or, or what have you. All of what I see, I'm very grateful that I like and I, I praise God for it. But I'm here to say that typically, if you're like any other institute, you got struggles. One thing I love to tell people I say, I don't care if you're black or white, I don't care if you are male or female. If there's one thing we all have in common, our problems. It's like we all have problems. We all have struggles. We got issues. Things that come up, whether we were expecting it or not, and it attempts to derail us on that straight and narrow path that God has put us on. I'm pretty sure that Wildwood goes through such battles. And so the reality is is that this is something wonderful that we can look back at, especially as the leaders of this institute, and say, when we look at our curriculums, when we look at our training, When we look at how we work with individuals that come in and then they're preparing to leave, how can we know that as a result of them coming to us, they are better prepared to know how to stand true to God, living in this time of judgment? You know, one of the things that many of our institutes struggle with is follow up. Is that right? If there's one thing many of our institutes struggle with is follow-up. You know, people come here for a 14-day, 18-day, 21-day program or whatever it may be. They come and visit for a period of time. We hold some type of, you know, farming conference or some other conference where people come and they get exposed to the work and so on and so forth. Okay, well, we have this very specific focus that God is telling us. God is making it clear. This is the focus. That's why I raised you up. When the people leave, we often struggle following up with them. How are you doing? Are you holding to the lines of what you have learned? Is there any way way that we can be of continual service to you? If you're running into obstacles, let us show you how to overcome it. There's a lot of us that battle with that. Now, I've, I've been to a lot of our major big institutes, you know, throughout the United States. I think I've been to all of them at this point. And I find that for the most part, it's, it's, it's a struggle across the board. And we need to plead with God, Lord, how can we do better? So that's why this evening, when we talk about what do we do now, where do we go from here, I'm going to share some gems with you. I'm going to share some things that I believe can help. And that we can actually have a better grip on making sure that no one falls through the cracks. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, you have to ask yourself, as the leaders here at Wildwood, how are we doing in getting this point across inspiration continues with this thought right it also says and from this is council on health page 203 it says every institution established by seventh day Adventists is to be to the world what joseph was in egypt and what daniel and his fellows were in babylon As in the providence of God, these chosen ones were taken captive. It was to carry to heathen nations the blessings that come to humanity through a knowledge of God. They were to be representatives of Jehovah. They were never to compromise with idolaters. Their religious faith and their name as worshipers of the living God, they were to bear as a special honor. So the world was literally supposed to always look at God's institutes as the solution to the problem. That's what Daniel was. That's what Joseph was. That's what Esther was. They were solutions to a problem that was affecting the nation. And, you know, I'll I'll be honest with you. Listen, I like being honest. Is that all right? Can you handle that? Good. You see, when COVID hit, I was excited. The reason, you wanna know why? The reason I was excited is because immediately when this COVID thing hit, I was leaving one of our sanitariums, one that doesn't get a lot of recognition, but the power of God has been there many a times called Meat Ministry. And I was there, and when I was leaving that sanitarium, and I remember that. You know, as I got back, I had friends sending me, it was, was kind of cute. They were sending me text messages in code saying, flee to the mountains. They're about to lock us down. I remember that. I remember that very clearly. I looked at it and I was like, turned the phone upside down. Oh. They were sending it in code. Flee to. They, they were dead serious. They said flee. Not realizing there was no place to flee. <laughs> you know, they locked down everywhere. But anyhow, the point is, when they, went, when, when they locked us down, right, I got excited because I said, listen, this might have caught the world off guard, but we dealt with this before. I remember 1918. I remember 1919. I remember the statistics that was connected with the 10 Seventh-day Adventist sanitariums versus the outpatient hospitals, and the U.S. Army, and how they dealt with the influenza virus of that day. And we came out shining like gold. Where everybody else had everywhere from 10 to 16-plus percent mortality rates, we were just at about 1%. And statistically, factually, that 1% was because a lot of people were coming in late when the disease had advanced. Those who came in early, it was 0%. So in my mind, I said, all right, Lord, this is, we are about to be Joseph. We are about to be Daniel. If the world didn't know who we are, they're going to know now. I was excited. But. But. We saw ministries making some efforts, and I praise God for every one of those ministries. Some of them went online and started to do all that they could to say, hey, we got an answer. But I believe on a larger scale, we missed an opportunity. It was a glorious opportunity. We missed an opportunity to say, we have a solution to this problem. It was almost like, and, and, and listen, trials never produce character. They only reveal it. Is that right? And so, you know, sometimes we are challenged, aren't we? With, with do we really believe our message? Sometimes we are challenged. And God in love and mercy will allow us to go through that, go through those tests. You see, I'm good with God testing me because last I checked, every time a teacher tests you, it's to help make you better. You see, when you got teachers tempting you, Flee. But when you have a teacher that's testing you, their purpose of giving you the test is to make you better. And so I'm thankful that James tells us God does not tempt, but he does test. And he was testing us. He was allowing us to see the fulfillment of Luke 18 in verse 8. You remember Jesus when he gave that parable, men ought always to pray and never faint. But then unfortunately... He goes through the story of the, the, the person who's, who's pleading with the king, please, give me, give me, and eventually that king gives them what they're asking for because they're so annoyed at their begging. And then Jesus takes that little parable, and then he starts talking about, you know, when we plead to God, who is a righteous judge, we have the assurance that he will hear and answer our prayers. But then he closed in verse 8 of Luke 18, and Jesus said, But when the Son of Man comes... Will I even find faith on the earth? Jesus has already given us the prophetic picture that the great grand majority of his own people will not trust him. Won't trust his words. And so what do we as ministers do? We're trying to encourage people to exercise faith. We're trying to encourage people to trust in that word only, that what God said is true and we can bank on it. But brothers and sisters, I believe as a collective unit, as, a, as an organized body, there's so much more that we could have brought to the table and so much more that we, have, we could have contributed to let the world know God has a solution to these problems. And in this time around, you know, it's funny, as I watched COVID going down, I said, I joined with prayer with many. I said, Father, I know you love us. And you allowed us to go through this, to wake many of us up to the reality, do we really believe, et cetera. But I believe there's going to be some people that's going to take heed to all that we've learned through this experience. And we're going to be better prepared for COVID part two, because part two is definitely coming. God says, I want my people and I want my institutes. I want you to be like Daniel and I want you to be like Joseph. I want you to be like Esther. I want you to be a solution to the problem. And that's going to take some courageous faith. That's going to take some radical faith. Can you imagine just based on pure trust in the words of God that you can go before kings and presidents and just say, we know exactly how to solve this problem. Now, family. Either I'm a preacher that's just giving you a bunch of good letters or we really actually believe what God is saying. There's a little book that I love to read. I have probably read this book at least 10 times, cover to cover, and it feels like every time I open it up, it's still a brand new book to me. Outside of the Bible, it's the book Ministry of Healing. It's my favorite book. Seriously, favorite book, hands down. The Wisdom of the Great Physician is in that book. Now, when I read the book Ministry of Healing... There's a statement in there on page 363. It says, the gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems. Now, what did I say earlier we all have in common? Problems. Now, watch this. If that's true, which I believe it is, that the gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems, because of that, check this out. John says something else you read earlier. John says, "I saw another angel, messenger. Who's that angel? That's us. We are God's messengers." John says, "I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having something. What did the angel have in its possession? The everlasting gospel. So you know what that means." What is the gospel? The gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problems. What did John see? He saw an angel that had the wonderful simplifier of life's problems in its possession. Somebody once came to me and said, "Dwayne, describe Seventh-day Adventist Christians in two words." I said, "No problem. Problem solvers." Name a problem that our world is facing that we have not been given inspiration to know how to solve that problem. Problems in agriculture, God has given us the solution. He's given us the answer. Problems in the home, he's given us the answer. Problems in parenting, he's given us the answer. Problems in marriage, he's given us the answer. There's not a problem that humanity faces that God has not invested the oracles of his words unto his last day remnant people. And this is why the founder of this movement, Elder Frazee, he said it very beautifully when he said, a medical missionary is an individual who has discovered how to solve his own problems. Now he's in a better position to help other people solve their problems. That was stated by the founder of this wonderful institute. And so it is that God is saying, hey, I want us to understand, this is my expectation. God says, I expect you to be Daniels. I expect you to be Joseph. I expect you to be Esther's. I don't want you to just solve problems in your church. I want you to solve problems in the world. Now, it continues by saying, and this they did, talking about those same uh, prophets. And this they did, in prosperity and adversity, they honored God and God honored them. So the institutions established by God's people today are to glorify his name. The only way in which we can fulfill his expectation is by being representatives of the truth for this time. God is to be recognized in the institutions established by the seven day Adventists. By them, the truth for this time is to be represented before the world with what kind of power? convincing power. You know what convinces people more than anything else? When they see a people living their message. That, that, that you know, gospel, right? Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. No, no, God's concept of the gospel is a little deeper than, you know, many of ours. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, right? This, this is God's concept of the gospel taking it to another level. In 1 Thessalonians, we're considering chapter 1. I just want you to see what the Bible says, right? We're going to study this out from the Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it was right there in verse 5, that the Bible says it like this. The Apostle Paul says, For our gospel came not unto you in what? In word only, but also in power. Power. And in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So notice that the gospel was never meant to be limited to lip service. It wasn't supposed to just be a lot of great concepts, great ideas, great lectures, and great teaching. Now, I said not limited. It is inclusive of these things. We need to have a good message. We need to have a solid message. It needs to be clear. No question about it. We need to have the right theory. That's not a wrong thing. I'm not here to dumb down theory. We need the theory, but God wanted it to go from the head to the heart. He wanted us to understand these words that I'm giving you, I want you to live them in your day-to-day life. I want you to live it out in the practice, in your institution. And so what we can do is we can take these teachings that we're going over thus far and we can ask ourselves, how have we been doing with this as a leadership? How have we been doing with this as an institute? Wherever we're doing good, praise God. Wherever we're falling short, pray to God that he helps take us on higher ground. You see, don't get satisfied. Don't get satisfied yet. Don't get satisfied yet. You know, God God has given us an attitude of how we should approach success in his work. Did you know that? Did you know, that God actually, you know that God actually gave us not only an attitude, he actually told us what to say when we have success. Can I show it to you? Luke 17. Look at Luke 17. Do you know that God actually, ta- can you imagine this? God, he knows our hearts so well. He said, look, when you, when you do good, remember this. I want you to say something. Yeah, I want you to see what he wants us to say. <laughs> and I want you to watch this. When we have done the work that God has called us to do in his name, do you know, and, 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 and success attends our work. What does God say he wants us to do? He says in Luke 17, right there in verse 10. He says in Luke 17, verse 10, so likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are un profitable servants we are unprofitable servants we have done that which was our duty to do can you imagine God tells us what to say when we succeed when we do his work with success we do everything God tells us to do that wonderful man Elder Frazee once again uh, somebody came to him complimenting him you know they were complimenting him because Elder Frazee was a man worthy of compliments I mean, he, he was next level. I mean, I, somebody said 1,000, Brother Kyle, he said 1,665 sermons or something like that. I have all 1,665 of his sermons on my phone. And I enjoy listening to them. And every time I listen to him, I say to myself, wow, it, it, it seems like Jesus was his best friend. Like just the way he talks about him. Just the way he teaches, it's like, it's like he has absolutely absorbed the words of God, and he just casually brings it out when it is appropriate. And so it is that Elder Frazee was a man, I'm sure, that in our natural minds was worthy of many, many compliments. So one day somebody came and complimented him, and when they were complimenting him, Elder Frazee, you're this and you're that and you're the other, telling him all about how great and wonderful he was. In his wonderful, wise, smiling way, he would respond back to that individual and say, thank you very much. He says, the devil has already told me all these things this morning. (laughs) What was what was Elder Frazee's point in telling that story? There's already a voice that's already telling you, "I, I, I, I could preach it better than he preaches it. If if it were me, I would have said it like this. You know, if you know, th- th- yeah, that's good what they said, but had they gone down two paragraphs more, they would have brought the deeper part out. There's always this little voice in our head that's looking for self-exaltation. Her hair is pretty, but it's not as pretty as mine. Well, hers is unnatural. Mine's is natural. If she was natural like I'm natural, her hair wouldn't look so pretty. So the only reason she looked pretty is because it's fake. It's amazing how we, we, we always look for something to big ourselves up while putting somebody else down. And we don't need a lot of training in this. It comes quite natural. And God knows that. And that's why he put what he put in Luke 17. When you do everything that I told you to do, just say, I'm an unprofitable servant. I've only done that which God has called me to do. Because if you say more than that, you're going to feed that negative side that needs no feeding. It needs to be starved to death. And so God knows that when we look at the three angels' messages, don't just look at it as letters. Don't just look at it as words only. You want to ask yourself, am I experiencing the first angel? Am I experiencing... The second angel? Am I experiencing the third angel? Or am I demonstrating the first angel? Am I demonstrating the second angel? Am I demonstrating the third angel? This is the question. When we come up with our answer, if our answer is good, we say, Praise God, leave that for a legacy. If the answer's bad, we pray, Lord. Help us to do better that we might leave a better legacy. So I firmly believe that anniversaries, birthdays, all of these special times, it's a time for a degree of celebration. It is a time to thank God for what has been accomplished. There's nothing wrong with that. Even the, the Hebrews had feasts, certain feasts where they could do that. But what's way more important is that examination, that self-assessment, not being satisfied, saying, Lord, what we have done thus far, we are unprofitable servants that have done what you've called us to do. Father, what can we do better? What can we do better, Lord? That's a great way to go about the word. Now, when we look at the three angels, when we look at the three angels, there's one thing that it brings us all back to. All three angels bring us back to one place, okay? Okay. In James chapter 2, 10 through 12, I put it up there so that if you want to take pictures or notes, you can take it down, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and kind of go through it fairly quickly because I want to get through some other points here. In the first angel, it's a message of investigative judgment, okay? James chapter 2, 10 through 12 shows very clearly we are judged by the law of God, okay? We're judged by the law. We're living in a time of judgment. The means in which God judges us is none other than his law, the Ten Commandments. But then there's a second angel, right? The second angel calls us to come away from Babylon and avoid its wine. In Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5, we understand the problem with wine. It says, it is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law. Did you catch that? What does wine cause the mind to do? Forget the law and pervert the judgment of the afflicted. So the second angel's message, Babylon wants to keep us away from God's law. That's Babylon's whole mission. Keep the people away from the law of God. Because there's two things that happens in the law of God. The law of God reveals our true condition and the law of God reveals God and his righteousness of which we can receive it by faith. Satan says, I don't want the people to see that. Keep them away from that. When you look at the third angel, it says, avoid the mark of the beast and keep God's commandments. Let's turn to Proverbs 19. In Proverbs 19, we should at least turn to one of them, right? In Proverbs 19, we kind of get an idea of what God's trying to communicate. Proverbs 19. In Proverbs 19 and verse 16, here's what the Bible says here. Proverbs 19, we're considering Verse 16, in a time where we're coming up against a spiritual Babylon, in a time that we're coming up against the mark of the beast, God describes the victorious ones as patient saints who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Well, here it is in Proverbs 19 and verse 16, it says, he that keepeth the commandment keepeth his own soul, but he that despises his ways shall die. So in the third angel's message, only those who keep God's law shall be God's saints in the last days. Only those who keep God's law, they are the ones that shall be God's saints and receive the seal in the last days. And so the summary of all of this is that the work of the three angels' messages is to bring the people back to God and his law. Bring the people back to God and his law. Law, this is our work, this is the work of Wildwood Institute, is somehow in our ministering to all of those who come here for their various needs, how can I, Father, acquaint them with you and the importance of them living out their lives in harmony with your law? This is what is the absolute imperative, brothers and sisters. And if we miss this, we miss everything. Now, God wants us to understand that when we look at all these things, Revelation 14, 12 is the most important part of the third angel's message to be dwelt upon. In other words, Revelation 14, 9 through 11 is what we call warning. It's all warning. Have you ever seen anybody say by being warned a lot? Proverbs 22 and verse 3 says, the prudent man, the wise man, foresees the evil. Now, let's stop. Let's say the verse stop there. Are you and I truly benefited if we see the evil very clearly that's coming? Okay, so let me give it to you this way. I'll make it nice and simple. You're walking across the street. As you walk across the street, you hear, you hear, the, beep, you hear the horn from a long way distance. And you see a giant Mack truck coming towards you at 100 miles per hour. When you see that Mack truck coming, you say, I see the Mack truck coming. That Mack truck is going to run me over. That Mack truck is deadly. I see it. Oh, look at that. It's getting closer. Whoa, it's getting even closer. Do I see the evil that's coming? But am I safe? No, I am not safe. Do I clearly see the evil that's coming? But am I safe from that evil? No, I'm not. The only way that I'm safe is when I say, Oh, that's a Mack truck coming. If I stay here, it's going to run me over and kill me. I don't want to die, so I'm going to step over here. When I move out of the way, when I act on the evil that's coming and take the way of safety, now am I safe? In Revelation 14, 9 through 11, it's the warning. It's letting us know that the beast power is doing all sorts of effort and work to bring about a collaborative effort to persecute and prosecute the people of God and cause us to turn away from him and his law. This is what we understand with the papacy. This is what we understand with the establishment of Sunday law. It is to pull us away from fidelity and faithfulness to God and commit fornication. That's what's happening. But we're not going to be saved simply by knowing all of the evil that is coming. Do we need to warn the people about the evil that's coming? Yes or no? No doubt. We have to. But I marvel at how some people spend so much time on the warning and they gloss over the experience that is the way of escape. Verse 12 is the experience that's the way of escape. Verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. That's the way of escape. That's how you escape the beast's power that's coming. And so we need to dwell more, not to the neglect of the warning. Are you hearing me, family? Not to the neglect of the warning. But we dwell more than the warning on the experience. You know why? I used to go to certain camp meetings, and I'll tell you one story. I could tell you a thousand, but I'll tell you one story. I used to go to a camp meeting, and the camp meeting emphasized greatly the, uh, the, 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 the reality of the third angel's message warning. The reality of the papacy and what they're doing. The nearness of the Sunday law, et cetera. It, it was very clear. I mean, these, these teachers and preachers, they were very clear. They broke it down. And I watched them year one, and and everybody, you know, said amen, and we all went home after the camp meeting. Then we come to the next camp, and we hear it all over again. Come to the next camp meeting, hear it all over again. Come to the next camp meeting, hear it all over again. And then one day, there was a camp meeting, same camp meeting, but uh, there was this preacher there. And the preacher did something that I thought was very strange. The preacher comes up, and he says, today, I'm going to talk about forgiveness, and I remember my first mental response. I was like, forgiveness? What's that got to do with the three angels? That's how ignorant I was. I said, what, what, what does forgiveness have to do with the three? This, this is not present truth. <laughs> I don't know who this brother is, but he ain't preaching present truth. That's what I thought. So then he goes ahead, and he starts preaching about forgiveness. When he preached about forgiveness he talked about how his father abandoned him and how he had to one day come back and face his father and forgive his father for what he had done, etc., etc. After he did that, he then talks about the importance of forgiveness, how according to Matthew 6, 14 and 15, if we do not forgive, God won't forgive us. That means forgiveness is a salvational subject. So after he goes in all of that, right, he then says, now, he concludes his sermon. He says, now, if there are any of you that have been harboring, listen carefully to my words. And this, this was at a, this wasn't as a, at a present truth camp meeting. This was at a present truth camp meeting. Okay? Like I'm emphasizing on purpose. This is the present of the present of the present truth. I mean, this is where you're going to hear it. Right? So here it is that he said, if any of you have been harboring unforgiveness in your heart. Before he could even finish the appeal, one of my friends jumps up out of his seat, runs up on the stage, and falls on his chest, crying like a child. You know, just, (laughs) I mean, crying, weeping, unreserved. The minister starts hugging him and stroking his back. Next thing you know, another guy pops up. Another guy pops up. Another guy and another guy. Before you know it, there were 50 to 60 men that went up on that stage. And watch this, for the first time in their lives, was willing to forgive individuals that have hurt them and harmed them at some time in their past. And the Spirit of God brought very clearly to my mind, because I knew who these brothers were. I'm like, I remember that guy right there. I remember him too. I remember all these guys. They were the ones, that's right. Get on the Pope, get on the beast. I mean, they, they, they loved to get on the papacy. They, they loved, yep, let's talk about all the sins in the church. They loved it. They, they were ready to beat everybody up. And they thought they were in a righteous condition before God. Because they knew so much about the warning. And when those brothers went up on that stage, the Spirit of God brought clear to my mind, every, count them well, Dwayne, every single one of them were lost until today. Every single one of them. And I remember I went to the preacher afterwards. I said, um, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, uh, why did you preach that? I said, that, that, that didn't match the conference. They didn't match it. And he said, God told me exactly what these people needed, Dwayne. And that thing opened my eyes, brothers, and put me on a journey of study that I am so thankful for. You see, it is true. We need to go into the warning and all these things. But God says, this is the experience right here. But if you read that verse... Do you know it's out of order? Do you know that verse is out of order when we're talking about experience? What's the first experience in the verse? Patience. What's the second experience in the verse? Keep the commandments of God. What's the third experience in the verse? I realize that maybe one of the reasons why sometimes we're in the mess we're in in the church is because that's exactly how we're trying to apply the gospel. You see, the reality is, beloved, this message, our title of our message is called Health Reform and the Third Angel's Message. This message is actually different. You will notice that actually what comes first is the faith of Jesus. Then after the faith of Jesus comes commandment keepers. And then after being commandment keepers, then we become patient and enduring saints. That's the actual order of the experience. In other words, when we teach the third angel's message, before we start going into the beast power and all of that, I think it's first important that the people understand the faith of Jesus, what it is and how it works, and will they receive it in their hearts. The third angel's message gives teeth to this teaching because it's warning us that there's a power that is trying to keep you away from this experience and to set you up, not just for a fall, but an eternal one. And so what God is trying to communicate is it's only those who endure to the end that's going to be saved. But everything starts with that faith of Jesus. And if you and I don't know what the faith of Jesus is, if that's not yours and my experience, you can talk commandment keeping. You can talk patience. How, how y'all doing with patience? Some of you have been in the church for years. How are you doing with patience? Sometimes we find ourselves getting more impatient as the years go by. That's totally backwards. I thought the more we spend time with Jesus, we're supposed to become More like him. Sometimes it's like the more we are in the church for a long period of time, we're becoming less like him. We're getting more irritable. We're getting more agitated. Before, when people did stuff to hurt us, we say, that's all right, brother. I, I know you meant well. But now we're way more quick to hold bitterness, anger, and resentment. It is possible that even in this room right now, there are marriages that are not happy. not what God wants that's not even close to what God wants not one in 100 marriages results happily is what the prophet says not one in 100 marriages that means if we got a whole bunch of married people in this room probably not a lot of them are happy according to the inspired statistic but God can change that you understand but it's not going to come by just trying harder to keep the commandments it's not going to come by just waking up every morning and saying, patient, saint, patient, saint. I got to be a patient saint today. You can repeat it all you want. I know people that did that. They would get up in the morning and say, no sin today. No sin. Oh, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> I'd love it if, that, if that's how easy it is. Just repeat it a lot. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need an experience. This was my wake-up call in 2016. When God helped me to see for the first time in my life how thoroughly unconverted I was. I'm preaching, I'm traveling, I'm going all over the world, and, and I knew how to point out sin. Don't get me wrong, I knew how to do it. And I, I, I was hard on folks. I'm so thankful to be alive to tell you this. You have no idea. Seriously, man, this is redeeming the time for me. And it's like I, 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 I literally, I would hurt people with the word of God being rude. And I thought I was being like John the Baptist. I thought I was being some spiritual tough guy gangster. (laughs) I call them PTGs, present truth gangsters. (laughs) Walking around and just, just tough. Jesus didn't walk around like that, brothers and sisters. Listen, he was compassionate towards wicked, abominable sinners. And we need more ministers like that. But ever since that 2016 and God helped me to see myself, Dwayne, you preaching all over the place about a God you do not know nor love. All it took was a crisis. And I cursed God to his face. That same man who did that message on forgiveness was the same man who put his arms on me and he said, Dwayne, he said, when God heals you from this, because I, I went through a mental meltdown family. It was bad. And he said, Dwayne, when you have know how much I, I held on to those words. He said, when God heals you from this, you're going to see how many of God's people are going through the same thing. Two words. True prophecy. Because I'm healed. I, 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 my mind is so restored, brothers and sisters, that I marvel at it. I marvel at it. I literally marvel at it. My mind is so restored. And I'm like, Lord, you gave me back my mind. I remember looking up in the sky and literally asking God, I said, will I ever have my mind again? There's only one thing worse than losing your mind. It's when you know it. You know I am not thinking right. But you just have no power to stop it. And so God began to introduce himself to me all over again. I said, Lord, I'm going to act like I don't know you. Teach me all over again who you are. And I started, I went dark. I went dark. No preaching. No nothing. Didn't go out and do any public meetings or anything. Just me and Jesus in the wilderness of Windsor, Massachusetts in the mountains. And I just began to say, all right, Lord, show me. Convince me that you are love. And he's been doing it every single day. And now God has done like he did with Isaiah. God is like, I wonder, I wonder who will go for me. I, I need more people to know this. And I'm like, here am I, Lord, send me. I know, brothers and sisters, there are a lot of us that we're not thinking right. We like the fact that we can read books and understand things. We are not experiencing the power of the gospel. We're not experiencing true deliverance. The demons still have control over many of us. Let that wife get you upset. Watch the demon come out. Let that husband get you upset. Watch the demon come out. And then we're going to go and minister to all these people that are coming here for help. And it's because of his grace that God says, as imperfect a vessel as you are, I'll still use you. He doesn't give up on us. Oh, praise his name. Brothers and sisters, he doesn't give up on us. He sees that we're broken. But God says, that's the best place I can heal you is when you see that you're broken. You see, let's go through a few more slides. I'll wrap it up. Watch this. When we, when we think about this, this third angel, right, the faith of Jesus, I want to show you something that was very consistent in the Bible because I, I wanted to study the faith of Jesus. Ellen White says that very few people understand the faith of Jesus. So I said, all right, well, I want to understand it. Like, teach me, Lord. So here's what God did. The first thing I did, I went to my computer, and I was like, faith of Jesus. I wanted to find out everywhere it is in the Bible. Everywhere it is in the Bible. So here's what happens. These started to pop up. So I started looking at these verses, right? Romans 3, 22 and 24. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2 and verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Then it says in Galatians 3, and 24, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. I could not help but to notice every time I saw the faith of Jesus Christ, it was directly connected with the term justified. Every single time. Every single time. We are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. So there's no way that I can experience the third angel's message and have the faith of Jesus and not experience justification. Now, you know why I'm doing this? Because I'm good with us talking about Ellen G. White. I'm fine with that. I believe that she was inspired of God. I believe the Holy Spirit led her mind to unfold beautiful things from the word of God. I believe her writings are a magnifying glass to the scripture. It makes clear what the Bible was already saying. It does not add. It does not take away because that's not what magnifying glasses do. A magnifying glass makes clear something that's not very clear beforehand. God knew my words amongst my people are going to become obscure and skewed. Therefore, I'm going to give them another lens in the last days so they can understand exactly what I'm saying I'm fine with the quotes from the prophet of God but the truth of the matter is the people who come visit here who are not Seventh-day Adventists they're not fine when we present her writings as an authority they have a right to say who is she? Why should I follow what she says? So you know what I like doing with missionaries? I like to show them what Ellen White said from the Bible. Because so far we're seeing that to have the faith of Jesus, that's how we get justification. Is that right? Now, this gets very interesting because, again, When we talk about the faith of Jesus, again, commandment keepers, and then patient, enduring saints. You see, justification is where the process begins with God. We are first justified, and then he sanctifies us, and then ultimately we glorify him. But everything starts with justification, and we are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. So that means that the answer is yes. When Sister White made this statement, several have written to me. Inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message, and I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity or in truth. There's no question that the third angel's message is justification by faith because that's what the faith of Jesus brings to every soul who's experiencing the message. Now that leads us to the next question. What is justification by faith? What is it? Because this is the experience that we need to introduce to everyone who comes to the Institute. This is what we were raised up for. What is justification by faith? Go to Romans chapter 4. Romans, the fourth chapter. I want you to see something here. And I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask a question on this one. So Romans 4. And I want us to look at verse 5. Justification and pardon are the same thing. You remember there were two worshipers and Jesus was talking about them. One worshiper was the Pharisee. The other worshiper was the publican. The Pharisee said, Lord, I'm grateful that I'm not like these nasty people over here, including the publican. But the publican came before God and said, Lord... Be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, he asked God to forgive him for his sins. Did God pardon him? Yes, but watch this. In that story, Jesus says, I tell you, that man, the publican, he left justified. He left justified. So justification and pardon its the same thing. Are you following that? So whenever you think of justification, think of pardon. Think of forgiven. Now, Romans 4 verse 5. Watch this. In Romans 4 and verse 5, it says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. According to the verse... Is the individual justified? Yes or no? Yes. What is it that has to take place first before they are justified? According to the verse. Say it a little louder for me. They have to believe on him? Is that what you said? Uh, there's more. He works not. That is true. There's more. Faith, that's true, but there's something that has to happen first. Brothers and sisters, see, I like doing this. You know why? Because I'm not saying that there's anything going on in anybody's heart. I can't read your heart. But it's very interesting to me that every time I teach this verse, it's very interesting to me how how difficult it can be to catch what the Bible's clearly showing. This is an open book test. You never fail an open book test. God is showing us right from the verse. If I'm going to get justification, what is it that I must see or accept first? Uh Aha. Look at the verse again. It says, even, I'm sorry, Romans 4 verse 5, yep. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the? Who does God justify? Wait a minute. So that means that in order for me to receive justification, I must first recognize that I am. See, you don't even want to say it. See that before I can receive justification, I must first confess and recognize from the heart that I am ungodly. If I see that, Lord, my best works are a filthy rag in your sight. If I can see and agree that, Lord, there's nothing I can bring to the table. If I can see and agree that no matter how hard I try to sell books, do Bible studies, write articles, and do all sorts of stuff. It will be tainted with filthy rag righteousness. I can't get justified. You see, the hardest thing for us to believe as God's people. The hardest thing for us to believe as God's people. Is the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The hardest thing for us to receive as God's people is that I actually am wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It hurts to hear that. You work hard for years to do righteousness and for God to tell you that all of it was like a filthy ride because you were not truly doing it in the right spirit. That hurts. That cuts right to the core of who we are. No one likes that. But God says, no, you don't understand. You see, the sooner you recognize how ungodly you are, you see, I'm going to give it to you practically. I like practical. If I, imagine it's not me, imagine it's another man. A man knocks on your door. And I understand you might chuckle at it, but just, just hear me out. A man knocks on your door. I'm making a very serious point. A man knocks on your door and he says, hello. He says, I am letting you know right now, I am a very deceitful man. And you haven't seen wickedness until you've seen me. Because I am not wicked. I am desperately wicked. Then he says, let me show you how to manage your money. (laughs) How many of you would take his counsel? Okay. Then he says, let me show you how to have a very happy marriage. Then he says, let me show you how to bring up your children. Watch this one. Then he says, let me show you how to do God's business. Are you following? You see, we're all intelligent enough in this room. We're all intelligent enough in this room. That if somebody is going to openly tell us how ungodly and terrible they are, we would never accept their counsel on anything. Now, the problem is, we have met that man. He say, really, when did we meet him? It was the last time we looked in the mirror. Because the Bible says... Our hearts are deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Now watch this. That means that when it comes to managing money, I would never trust my natural intuition on how we should manage our money and what we should do with it. I would never trust that. Because my natural intuition is selfishness. It's selfish. Wildwood, I'm sure you know all about this. You know, even donors can mingle self-righteousness in their donations. They deem who's worthy to get certain amounts of money. Where if they would have just simply said, Lord, we have five people that we can give money to, five ministries. Lord, what would you have me to do? God might tell you, don't, don't keep circulating it around the good old boys club. God might say there's some ministries that they're going to get their 100000 every year anyhow. But there's some other ministries with ministers in it that are anointed of God that need real help. And that's who I want you to help. If some people prayed, I guarantee you they would get such instruction. And some of them, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that this is a, a, this is, I'm not making any antagonistic statement by this. But I, I didn't read in the Bible that every organization led of God must be under ASI. What if it's a ministry doing God's work, but they're not under ASI? Does that mean by default that we don't support them because they're not under ASI? Just help me. Give me the verse. Give me Ellen White's quote on it. I thank God for ASI. I speak at ASI. So, again, I'm not taking anything away from ASI. But I'm talking about how we can still inject self even in some of our good works. Are you following? Y'all getting that? Do not leave here saying Brother Lemon was knocking ASI. I didn't say that. I'm just challenging the way we think. Beloved, what I'm simply saying is, is that God wants us to understand the way justification works is like this. What is justification by faith? This is the quote. It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust. Then he can do for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. But the first work is lay the glory in the dust. This is God's hardest job. Because as long as I have a little justification in my life, I don't need his if I'm like, well, I'm not that bad. After all, I mean, I'm a pretty good. Once we start talking like that, God says, oh, so you're justifying. Okay, so you don't need my justification. You have your own. And I believe that's one of the reasons we're still stuck on this planet it's so many years after Christ entered the most holy place. He's still try- When that question was asked by Brother James about sacrifice, that, that sacrifice, which is really not a sacrifice, that sacrifice that God wants is our hearts. Before he wants our money, before he wants our time and effort and energy and the rest, God says, Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. God knows once I have your heart, you're going to do everything I tell you to do. You cannot be connected to the vine and produce different fruit than what comes from the vine. So God's like, I know if I get your heart, everything else falls in place. And so this is all that God is trying to communicate to you and I, beloved, is that God is saying this legacy that I want my people to do is I want them to understand submission. I want them to understand submission, not partial, full submission. God says I want all of you. Nothing held back. Ask yourself, Lord, where is there still some self-glory that I'm holding on to? Because any self-glory that we hold on to is unfitting us. For the final crisis. We'll never make it through there. Now lastly. Why is this so important about God's law? Because the Bible is very clear. It is time for thee to work, O Lord. For they have made void thy law. We're living in a world where now we're being told living all types of lifestyles. Young kids can now decide what their genders are. This world is confused. They're confused. They need help. It's not an occasion for getting mad. It's an occasion for getting busy. Like never before, I, I imagine a Wildwood where they hold courses like, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman according to the word of God? Do you know a class like that is now relevant? Do you know a class like that is relevant? Because now, <laughs> my, my dear sister who's, who's about to be brought into the Supreme Court, uh, uh, that, that. you know she's celebrated because she'll be the first black woman to ever be in the Supreme Court and she will accept that accolade but when she was asked what is a woman <laughs> she was like uh, that's not my field <laughs> and I thought to myself really Really? Come on, sister. You're going to be the first black woman. Now you don't know what a woman is. Listen, the world is confused. The world is making void the law of God. Are you following, family? The world is making void the law of God. We can't, present, we can't present laws of health because there is no laws of health. It's like, it, it, no, it has to be this way and the only way for people to get well from sickness and disease. They're making void the laws of God. And God has raised up a people that says, we will not stand for this. We will not allow God's law to be broken, violated, nullified, revoked, or thwarted. There's a people that God has raised up to do a last work, and He's raised up institutions to do this work, brothers and sisters. But we are living in a world where violence and crime and sin is at an all time high. Lawlessness is the mantra of the day. Here goes God raising up institutes and people to bring people back in harmony with God, back in harmony with His law. How do we live that? By the faith of Christ. You see, Again, brothers and sisters, that faith of Jesus, that faith of Jesus. This afternoon, I'm going to actually show you what the faith of Jesus is. I'm going to explain it from the Bible because that's how you're going to have to teach it to those who know not the writings of our prophet. But why is all this stuff happening? You see, intemperance is all over the world. Intemperance. Look at this. Moses loses control as a result of the people's rebellion and his own distrust in God. And in that moment, he lost out on going into the earthly Canaan. You read that in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 10. Intemperance, just for a moment. That's exactly what happened with Moses. How about this one? David loses control because of his passion for another man's wife and commits adultery. We're talking about the power of intemperance. Then you got... Esau loses control and gives up his birthright just for food. The power of intemperance. Intemperance happened in the Bible, and we can look at things happening today. Now, listen, I'm not here to to take sides on any of this, but I'll simply say this. As I said earlier, present truth should always address present issues in harmony with the gospel. This is a present issue. This is a present issue. We got issues of police brutality. We have issues of civilians getting killed. We have issues of a lot of things. But you know one thing that I would say that some people may not like me for this, but that's all right. I got to tell the truth. When I look at these stories of some of these recent stories over recent years of some of these uh, black men who's been shot by police officers and stuff, there was something that I kept noticing was a connected theme, and it was very concerning for me because I'm the father of four children. I have two boys and two girls. They're all adult age. Everybody's in their 20s. So I told my boys when they were very young, I said, listen, if a police officer ever pulls you over, I said, you only have two words to say to him. And they were like, what's the two words, Dad? And I was like, yes, sir. And he was just like, really? I said, yep. What if they call me names? I said, "Two words. Yes, sir. What if they throw me on the ground and put me in cuffs or whatever? You just say, yes, sir. That's it. You say nothing else. Why, Dad, do you want me to say that? Shouldn't we fight that? Well, if you fight it, I've learned something. Dead men cannot protect themselves. I said, you just say, yes, sir. When you come home to us, that's when your mother and I will roll up our sleeves and handle business. But I said, but you just say, yes, sir. Now, why, why, why am I giving my children that instruction? Because I'm, I'm smart enough to know I don't live in a fair world. I don't live in a fair world. There's good cops and there's bad cops. And I don't know which one my children are going to run into because they don't wear badges saying, I'm the good cop, I'm the bad cop. So I don't know who they're going to run into, but I know the reality of it because I know where I come from. And so here's the reality. I wish I could have been there when these guys get arrested, even if they felt they were unjustly treated. You know what I would say? I would say, hey, bro, calm down. Control yourself. Just cooperate with the officer. We'll deal with it afterwards. But the more that they keep playing these videos, you know what I keep seeing? I keep seeing men getting to a point of such frustration that they say, I'm tired of this, and then they try to make a certain move or whatever, and they end up getting a lot of lead pumped through their bodies. I'm not getting into the right or wrong right now. What I'm saying is, is I've seen a lot of brothers go down, and all it took was a little more self-control to just walk through the process, to just go through the process. We'll, we'll deal with right or wrong. We'll get there. But in that moment... You gotta calm down. I ser- I watched many of the videos going as far back as Eric Garner, and I've wa- over and over and over again. You keep seeing the same thing. They get irritated, they get agitated. They're like, "I'm tired of being treated this way," and then they react, not understanding the guy with the gun's gonna win. Every time. We're not in a fair world, and so I actually can look at the power. Of a lack of self-control, even in some of the latest agitations affecting the news media right now. And then, Dr. Z and, and James, when they said this point right here, see that? This stuff, when Dr. Zeno brought this up, I said, man, he hit the nail on the head with that one. This is a new beast power. It, it is like, there are some parents that are like, we didn't have to deal with this. Social media is the demon of the day. And we need wisdom to know how to free our children from this stuff. And I speak in relation to even my own. This is the demon of the day. Family, do not allow your children to get on those electronics and you carefully guard that thing. Because a little leaven leavens that whole lump. They start; they lose control. The power is very popular. We're told in Business Insider, it says interviews with Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Sundar Pikai, and other tech power players reveal that Silicon Valley parents are strict about technology use. Do you know these are the guys who created it? Yeah. They're actually telling their children, uh-uh, don't get on that stuff. Or if they get on it, hard on them. Like you only have this much time and that's it. They're the creators. And here we are letting our children, uh, you you tell everybody, take your Bibles out. And everybody's pulling out a phone. We don't understand the seeds that we're sowing. And the seeds that we're sowing, right here. Now you got books like this coming out. Reset Your Child's Brain, a four-week plan to end meltdowns, raise grades, and boost social skills by reversing the effects of electronic screen time. They're literally showing how young kids are coming into doctors' offices showing mild autistic behavior. And it's not because they were going through Asperger's or autism. It was because they literally were just spending too much time on screens. It's messing their brains up. We are in a world of intemperance. And what does inspiration say? (laughs) It says right here. Intemperance lies at the foundation of how much? All the evil in our world. There's not an evil thing we see happening in our world. That intemperance does not lie at the foundation. Now watch this one. Did you know this? As God's messengers, I come to you and demand your names. Neither of you have seen the necessity of health reform. But when the plagues of God shall be all around you, you will then see the principles of health reform and strict temperance in all things. That temperance alone is the foundation of how much? All the graces that come from God. The foundation of how much? All victories to be gained. Can you imagine that? Temperance. And that's why, in my humble opinion, medical missionaries are God's last day powerhouses against the evils of this world. Because we're taking the message of the third angel, and we're taking the principles of health reform, and we're bringing them together To meet the minds of the people so we can actually put them in position that God can do what he always wanted to do. What did God want to do? This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. God says, I'm going to write that law in their minds. I'm going to write it in their hearts. And this is why Paul says, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. The word serve literally means to be a slave. With the mind, I can become a slave to God and his words. I can follow his law. So when I think about leaving a legacy, I think about us analyzing third angel. I think about us analyzing health reform. I think about us saying, Lord, this is the work you've given us to do in a world that is upside down. And when we give proper attention to this work, God says, this is the legacy that I want left for my people, and I just leave you with this reminder. Again, it's been 80 years. The Lord has blessed. The Lord has worked through Wildwood, and I have no doubt that God is going to continue, but God wants us to remember, remember, remember. Mighty men like A.T. Jones, E.J. Wagner, God's powerhouse in bringing the message of righteousness by faith, the true message. They had all the doctrine right when it came to this subject. Moses Hull was dynamite when it came to dealing with the subject of spiritualism in the Adventist church. But Moses Hull kept feeling something that DM Canright felt. Were it not for the uniqueness of this message, I could be a more popular minister, I can be a more favored evangelist. And Moses Hull, who was really good at fighting against spiritualism, One day, without the leading of God's spirit, went against a spiritualist and left the home and became a spiritualist and died a spiritualist. D.M. Canwright was an evangelist of evangelists, preached the present truth, broke down the word of God very, very powerfully. God used him mightily, but he kept feeling, if it weren't for the uniqueness of this message, I could be even more popular. I could be even more favored. John Harvey Kellogg. medical missionary of medical missionaries allowed himself to go astray and to believe in all sorts of spurious teachings and doctrines that ultimately severed his mind from God and his present truth. F.E. Belden's one of the best, some of the best hymns in our hymnal. Hymns on the judgment, hymns in relation to the merits and righteousness of Christ being our sufficiency and here it is that this same man who could sit in a church The preacher comes up and starts to preach. He could leave the room and come back in before the preacher's done preaching and already have written a full hymn. Gifted. What is it that they all have in common? They all, brothers and sisters, died outside of the third angel. Every single one of them. Died outside the message, died outside the present truth. And God says, remember this. We've done a good work. They did a good work. But after a while, they began to look more to themselves. They began to trust more in themselves. They began finding it not so necessary to seek God on every move that they made. And then in time, outside the third angel's message, God gives that as a warning to each and every one of us. Stay prayerful. Stay humble. Continue in his word. Continue in prayer. Continue in God's love. And the one thing that I think will help every single one of us is Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And what does he want us to learn? That I'm meek and lowly in heart. This is how you'll find rest unto my soul. Keep the meekness and the humility of Christ before your eyes. Never take your eyes off of it. And you will find that by beholding these truths, we will become changed. True humility is evidence that we behold God and that we are in union with Jesus Christ. Unless we are meek and lowly, we cannot claim that we have any true conception of the character of God. Men may think that they are serving God faithfully. Their talents, learning, eloquence, or zeal may dazzle the eye, delight the fancy, and awaken the admiration of those who cannot see beneath the surface. But unless these qualifications are humbly consecrated to God, unless those to whom these gifts are entrusted to seek that grace which alone can make their work acceptable, they are regarded by God as what? Now, isn't that interesting? That's very interesting. This is the first time that I have seen God says, you regard yourself as unprofitable while I look at you as profitable. But it's very dangerous when we look at ourselves as profitable, but God says unprofitable. My brothers and sisters, this is no time for us to take our hand off the plow. Moses, at 80 years old, began his mission. You read Exodus 7 and verse 7. It was at 80 years old that he's now standing before Pharaoh to do the great deliverance work. In other words, Wildwood, you're nowhere near finished. I would dare to say you're just getting started. And because you're just getting started, God says, now go back. I want you to look at everything. Look at my principles. And then God says, and now if you see that there are areas that are not worth handing down to others, work on it, correct it in the strength of Jesus. Whatever it is that you were doing that was phenomenal, amazing, and powerful, God says, now continue to do that and continue to remember where you got the power from to do that. And I believe that we're getting ready to hear even greater stories and what God has already done through this wonderful movement. I believe that as we take heed to this warning and as we take heed to this counsel, that God will use us in even more mighty ways, that even we will be surprised at the power of the gospel. But this is not just a message for Wildwood, is it? It's for every single one of us. And so, my brothers and sisters, my simple request is, if you've heard the voice of God speak to you, If you can look back and see, Lord, as I look at the legacies that I'm going to leave behind for my wife, for my husband, for my children, for those whom I love and serve. If you can look at your life and you can see areas where there's some improvement needed and some praise and thanksgiving to give to God for what he has accomplished. And you're willing to cooperate fully with him and to look back at your life and to see, Lord, how can I do it even better to your name's honor and glory? And you're willing to cooperate with God. I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. And I assure you, beloved, I'm already standing so I can stand up no further. So I stand with you. And I want you to know that, more importantly, God stands with us. And he will help us and he will strengthen us. May we remain faithful. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've taught us today. We thank you, Lord, for helping us to understand your wonderful words of life. We thank you so much for the counsels that you've given of why you truly raised up your institutions in these last days. And Lord, I pray, help us to be faithful come what may. And in the end, dear God, when Jesus shall burst through the clouds of glory, may we be counted, whether it be amongst translation or resurrection. But Lord, help us to be there. And We ask all these mercies in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio,